This episode of the Series A podcast is brought to you by the Blockchain Founders Fund. The Blockchain Founders Fund is a global entrepreneurship and investment fund that focuses on adding value to emerging technology and blockchain projects with real-world applications. The Blockchain Founders Fund supports seasoned and first-time entrepreneurs across the key business function with a hands-on intensive go-to-market venture program. Our second sponsor is SGI Partners based in New York City. SGI Partners is a private investment firm that pursues compelling investment opportunities in middle market businesses. SGI has a flexible mandate to invest across the capital structure in control-oriented investments, ranging from strategic financing to buyouts, allowing us to implement innovative investment strategies that preserve invested capital and mitigate risk while driving growth and creating value. As an, inv- as an advisor to SGI partners, I help identify investment targets in my geographical area. Now on to this fantastic new episode. So we are here today with Caitlin Johnson, who is Managing Director at American Family Ventures based in New York. Caitlin, welcome to Series A. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, George. It's a pleasure. So uh, you guys in New York still work from uh, home, uh, as I understand it. Is that correct? Yeah, we are right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's uh, start by if you can tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up in venture capital? So uh, it's a great question, Um, and it's one where I I started my career. I'm a mechanical engineering by training, and uh, I graduated college, got a job doing mechanical engineering things, um, which was mainly product engineering at uh, at a company, and um, specifically for medical devices. And what that kind of showed me was that I really was um, just tired of big corporations. Like it wasn't a fit for me. I also really like the organization was very slow moving and I like really fast paced things. And so when I started taking stock in what I really enjoyed about my job and the things that really made me frustrated, I realized, oh, you know, there's this, there's this institution or there's this industry out there called venture capital and they check a lot of the boxes of things that I like. And so it was really the catalyst for me going back and getting my MBA and then launching a career in venture. So it was, took a lot of hustle trying to get out there and find, um, you know, kind of elbow your way into venture because it's a bit of a black box. Um, and it's a very kind of insular community, I would say in a lot of regards. So it was, it, it takes a lot of finessing to find yourself a role. And that's what I did. And six years later, I'm still loving it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you were working as an engineer, you were working in uh, large companies or were you working in uh, startups, venture backed? <laughs> Um, so you mean when I first started in venture, in venture capital, like, uh, yeah, I had just transitioned from like a medium sized company. So it had about 10,000 people at it. So definitely not early stage startups definitely came from kind of like a more middle of America corporation. Okay. Uh, so tell us about, uh, American family ventures. Uh, yeah. what about uh, the structure and the team and where do you invest? 
Yeah, uh, all great questions. So we are a, a team of about uh, nine people and we focus on early stage investing. So series, well, actually, um, incubation is probably the better way to describe it. So incubation all the way through series B. And, um, and in that we are a thematic focused fund. So we focus on the things that impact the future of insurance and that is core insurance. So anything that you think that is obviously insurance we invest in, and that's falls into our category of core. And then we have this other category called adjacent and what rolls up under adjacent category are markets that insurers care a lot about. Um, and, and they want to, they want to see how the landscape evolves there. And so, um, examples of that would be property tech, real estate tech, construction technology, FinTech. Um, we do a bunch of stuff in, in healthcare, but more on the, the carrier sides that could fall into core. Um, but yeah, like those types of examples, we'll do IOT, we'll do hardware, we'll do a whole host of, of different things that see, don't seem as obviously relevant to insurance, but are definitely relevant. Okay. And uh, your role as a managing director? Yes. Um, could you elaborate on that? Yep. Um, well, so an another thing, I, I apologize because I don't think I fully answered your first question, which was a little bit about our structure. So um, this kind of parlays into my role as a managing director. So we are currently on fund three, which is a 200 and approximately $15 million vehicle. Um, we had started back in 2010 or actually 2013 really um, when we did our first fund one and from that fund we had really great exits such as ring which went on to get acquired by amazon um, and and that led us into fund two so fund one was a true corporate on balance sheet capital fund fund two was structured as a single lp with american family insurance being our lp um, and then fund three we've done this evolution where AmFam is our anchor LP, but we've taken on multiple LPs. And so in that multi-LP form, we're able to enrich the ecosystem for both the entrepreneurs that we're partnering with or just even coming across in the ecosystem by providing value-added intros to our LP base. And then to our LPs, we're giving them exposure to a lot of different types of technology that could really help them shape and transform their own organizations. And so just keeping a pulse on the latest and greatest that's going on in the, in kind of the that that ecosystem is highly important and pertinent to our LP base. And so they really enjoy that. And I think that just that ecosystem gets fuller and richer the more LPs that we have in it, as well as the, the more entrepreneurs that we, we can do intros to, value-added intros. So yeah, so that's a little bit about our fund. And I'm one of four managing directors. So I'm a senior investor on the team. Uh, and I will lead investments. So we will lead or follow. Um, and when I say lead investments, I meant lead investments for my team. And when I said lead or follow, we'll either lead the round and put a term sheet in, or we'll be part of a syndicate. So we can work well in both of those scenarios. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lost you, uh, I think, in fund two. Uh, where yeah. you, you said uh, that uh, you only had one LP. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be um, American Family uh, Insurance. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So could you talk to us about uh, this entity? Because um, we are not so familiar with it. 
Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, a single LP fund, they're typically common when you have an LP that has an outsized interest in a particular category, and they really want to have, you know, overexposure to either a team or a particular space. And so uh, for us, um, AmFam, and, and you can kind of think of family offices in the same way that you might think of a single LP fund, except family offices tend to be evergreen because they'll invest, money will come back in. They're really not raising funds for the purpose of deployment. They're just more at a more casual pace. Whereas our fund, fund two, was we raised a specific amount of money to go deploy, um, but we just raised it from one entity. So so that's that's the only difference. Okay. And um, and like I had mentioned, you know, fund three, we decided to open and kind of cast the net a bit wider than AmFam for the pure reason that we felt as one investors, it kind of de-risks our asset base, but mainly because it brings in a lot of value to an ecosystem by having other LPs that care about the same types of things um, or care about slightly different things. It allows us as a fund to play in different spaces, to provide different value to different entities and to enrich the whole ecosystem for everybody that comes in contact with us. So in fund three, you have as an LP also the American Family Insurance, or is yeah. it just other LPs? Uh, so we have multiple other LPs outside of American Family Insurance. So we don't disclose who our LPs are, but think other insurance carriers, think other like financial institutions, think institutional investors that are traditional investors into um you know, a GP, or I, I should say that they invest uh, at the LP level. So, so yeah, a mm -hmm. whole variety. And uh, do you personally go out and uh, fetch these uh, LPs yourself? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so just like, just like startups have to fundraise, we do the same. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so is fund two uh, finished? Fund two is finished. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was so, the duration? Uh, it was a shorter duration because we rolled some of that into fund three, um, but it was, I think, a year and a half. We we got a lot done in that period of time, um, but the the fund three we've launched, we, start, we started in 2019. Uh, we closed it in 2020. And we'll, we're already looking forward to fund four, which is will be in the works. Mm -hmm. So um, what is the duration of uh, fund two and fund three? Well, so fund, fund two, so, so, you know, a typical 10 year life cycle. Um, but I would say that, you know, so fund three very much so looks like that. With, with fund two, we, we had the flexibility because we're just working with AmFam. So it's probably not a great, uh, great, Describing fund two, it, it won't be reflective of what our future state will look like as a fund. Fund three is much more representative of that. So it's a traditional 10-year life cycle like any other venture fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so having one LP, for example, in uh, fund two, does that uh, limit uh, your uh, ability to invest uh, in any startup you want? I mean, is your only restriction that you have to invest in uh, insurance and the insurance tech companies? No, no. So that's what I was describing a little bit 
um, earlier is that you can have core technology, which is insurance tech, that's broker tech. It's really anything that you think obviously of when you think of insurance, but then you have these markets that are outside of the core, which would be adjacent markets. That's real estate tech, prop tech, that's hardware, that's fintech, um, a whole myriad of things. It's, it can, you know, that, that we are able to deploy in because it's it's areas that insurers care about um, and have an impact on the markets that they operate in and hence probably why they care about them in the first place. Mm -hmm. And uh, Caitlin, you mentioned before uh, that you start investing from the incubation phase of a startup. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Do you actually run an incubator or do you find the startups in other incubators and accelerators? Yeah, so it's more that um, we do not run an incubator. It's more that, hey, we as a fund, because we're thematically focused, have gone deep in certain areas and have perspectives of how we'd like to see certain companies come to bear in the market. And so we've developed a thesis about, you know, hey, companies in the fraud landscape, the most successful ones will look like X or, hey, uh, we think that the, the most interesting space to invest in within the life insurance arena is, you know, why? And the reasons for that are A, B, and C, and a company will look like, you know, D, E, and F in that space. And so we, we can get hyper-specific because we have thoughts, because we've spent time in it. And so in lieu of us finding a company that matches that exact thesis, we'll say, oh, this is really cool and, and be opportunistic about spinning up a company around kind of those areas. Um, we don't do that often. We've done it I would say twice over our history, um, but it is something that you know we don't rule out. So uh, actually, our one of our our heaviest positions to date is a company called Clear Cover that we did do an incubation model for, um, and then we have another company that we have not announced yet that also has a very similar um, kind of it's in the MGA space, and it also was incubated. Mm -hmm. Has Fund One come to maturity? Uh, fun one definitely has, yeah. I mean, there's still companies there that could have an exit, but as far as the amount of time that we're spending on it as a team, it's de minimis. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us for our audience, uh, some of them are starting in their venture career. Uh, what, what, what actually happens when a fund comes to maturity? I mean, uh, do you work in the 80... 20 model, how does that work? Um, when you say 80-20 model, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, uh, the you, you keep 20% of the, of the profits and you return 80% to LPs. Yeah, so, um, so yes, you do. The, the thing about startups is I wish we had a crystal ball and we knew when each of them would exit, but the, the uh, reason for the life cycle of a fund is um, that the LPs will pay you management fees over that life cycle, but there are still assets to be managed once the fund has exited. And so the GPs still have that fiduciary duty to the fund to make sure that they're managing those assets appropriately and ushering them through an exit. So yes, you still do have the the carry model, uh, the 80-20 rule uh, for, for, you know, funds that have come to maturity. But, um, but yeah, it, it does look a little bit different. 
in, in, in meaning like the fund that you're actively investing out of and then and then much more actively managing investments for will be the fund that you spend probably the majority of your time in. Um, so there are some legacy deals where you still have board seats, maybe from like, in this case, a fund one, right? We, we still have a couple companies where we hold board seats. Um, but the, the vast majority of our, and I don't want to say our time, because as a board member, you're supporting them, but the vast majority of the activity is focused on fund three versus fund one, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the management fee is that 2%. It depends. It's something that you negotiate with your LP base, but um, yeah, different funds like around right around two percent. I I'd say is is probably a very common uh, management fee. Mm -hmm. And uh, is fund four going to be also about insurance? Or... Fund four, yep, 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 okay. yeah. But I think for our entire run, we will do uh, an insurance focused fund. Okay, so you guys are pretty expert in that sector. Yeah. We certainly are. Uh, do you do anything with blockchain technology? Um, I don't want to say that we don't, but it's not a core focus of ours. And so it would have to be something, an application of it in the insurance ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty impressive that a team of nine people are managing uh, three funds and now you are thinking for the fourth. Yeah, that's right. Are you going to hire more people? Um, I think that we're pretty well sized to handle uh, to be able to step up our our fund size and or raise another fund without having to expand the team. Mm -hmm. And um, how much money do you invest in uh, the startups? Yeah, so our check sizes will range anywhere from like 250k on the low end to you know I would say initial checks um, like seven to 10 million on the high end. Um, and then if we're invested in a company and we decide to like lead another round after we've already invested, those checks can be much bigger. Um, and certainly pro rata checks can start to get large, especially if you've invested them at an early stage and they're they're doing really well. Like in the, the example of ClearCover, um, we were early stage investors. And so now our pro rata into the rounds they're raising now is, is quite large. So, yep. And uh, geographically, where are your investments placed? Yeah, so geographically, we're in in um, pretty much throughout the U.S. is predominantly where we are. We're geographically agnostic, though. So um, with certainly within the U.S. And then we've also done investments in India. We've done investments in Europe. So lots to get excited about, uh, lots of spaces that we'll play in, um, both in terms of you know, industries, as well as in terms of geographies. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your portfolio companies. Sure. Um, without naming names, uh, do you have like uh, companies that really outperform and uh, return the whole fund, as we say, or more or less all your companies are doing good or some of them have failed? What is the, the status of, of the companies that you invest in? Yeah, I would say that, you know, our companies have been doing great to excellent or good to excellent. We in in fund over the course of fund two to fund three have only had to shut down one company, which has been really great uh, to that 
that we've only had kind of one company that hasn't come to fruition. Uh, the rest have all raised up rounds, which is really exciting. The, the other thing that I would note is that our, you know, in terms of, of, I think part of your question was asking, are we, do we have companies that are going to be drivers for the fund and return the whole fund? We certainly have a few that are, uh, that are jockeying for that position or that, that, uh, honor, I guess, to be able to return our whole fund. Um, so it, we've got several in the pipes that are looking really promising and that we're really excited about as a team. And I think that, you know, in the coming years, we'll, we'll really see those uh, work for us in, in a really positive way. And so our current positions in them certainly are at a spot where uh, they've generated a really attractive IRR as well as a really attractive um, some of them have even exited. So we've gotten liquidity events. Um, so it's not just all on paper markups. Uh, some of them have actually come to bear. And so I think our LPs are, are really excited about the performance that we've had to date. Did you have any exits in the stock markets? Um, so we have, yes, um, some on uh, international exchanges, um, but yeah. And what is the typical seed stage uh, valuation of a company in mm. uh, in your uh, part of the world? Yeah, it's certainly been creeping up. I feel like I'm seeing, you know, we used to see seed stage companies getting valued at anywhere between, I'd say, three million at the low end to like six million, seven million at the high end, probably. Now I'm seeing seed stage companies can be valued as much as 15 million. I've, I've really, I've seen like in a couple of instances them be valued in like, you know, 25 million area. Um, it's so it's just they're raising bigger rounds. They're looking for higher valuations out of the gate. Um, it's just the market, like the the in the macro environment that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. um, do you invest in solo uh, leaders, or does it have to be a, a team uh, for you to invest in the startup? No, we'll, we will invest in solo leaders. I think that the, the thought though, is that they've just, they're able to convince us that they're able to bring the right talent around the table that they need to. But, um, you know, one of our company's tire agent, really the only C-suite that we have right now is the CEO. And so, uh, you know, but but his metrics and how he was running the business really showed to us that he was okay. Like it was okay for us to invest in a one man band back then. Um, and a, and a bunch of our our underwriting of the deal was that hey, we believe that he'll be able to attract the right talent to help usher his startup into its next stage. So and that's proven to be true. And what kind of uh, reporting do you require from your portfolio companies? Yeah, I would just say standard financial reporting. All we ask is that they, you know, keep us updated per our information rights as to financials. Um, you know, we're usually getting ingesting those on a quarterly basis. And then any, any like board roles, whether it be a board member or a board observer, we're getting, you know, board packages and able to parse through that and attending board meetings. So we're getting a pretty good line of sight into the company's performance and how they're doing. And then there's a bunch of just the informal stuff that you do as a as a person who's kind of led the investment for your fund. So that would look like, you know, having a monthly breakfast with a bunch of your CEOs, just to understand how their, their business is unfolding and kind of what's the latest and greatest on their mind. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how has been working from home uh, yeah. doing what you do? If you compare it to the past uh, six years that you have been doing that. Yeah. So working from home, you know, I, uh, I'd say it's a little bit different because you're just hopping on zoom a lot more than you are flying somewhere to meet somebody in person. But to be honest, I kind of like it. I like, don't get me wrong. I am a social butterfly and I love meeting people in person. I just think there's something really compelling about being in the same room as somebody getting to build and forge that bond. And so in a lot of ways, you don't do that as strongly over Zoom, but I do think Zoom is a wonderful option to help manage um, what can quickly become a runaway train in terms of your schedule, um, especially on the venture side, going, hopping on a plane every day to go fly off and meet another company isn't super sustainable. And so Zoom's provided a really nice outlet for people to stay kind of at home with their families um, and also kind of weather the pandemic within the safety of their house whilst hopping on calls and continuing their day-to-day, mm-hmm. so. So do you have any entrepreneurs pitching to you after our, our uh, uh, meeting? Oh yeah, my basically all day, every day um, is filled with entrepreneurs pitching and I just love it. I wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. That's fantastic to hear. And um, are they pitching to you after they uh, have like a warm introduction or is it just people that apply through your uh, website and uh, send you uh, their uh, pitch deck via email? Uh, I have both. I've got people that have cold inbounded into uh, my inbox to just say, Hey, you know, I've either heard you on a podcast. I came across you on LinkedIn or, um, I've heard about AmFam and just wanted to reach out because I think my company is really relevant. And I love that. I love that scrappy hustle from those entrepreneurs. I think that's great. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we will also do inbound or I should say outbound to companies where we have heard of them, or we've been monitoring a trend in market and, their thesis is hitting right on that. And so that allows us to really get in there and forge a connection with them to learn more about what they're building and how we might be able to help them either through value-added intros or assessing them for investment or a myriad of other ways in which we can provide value. So yeah, it, it's both inbound and outbound. And uh, in order to get the inbound, do you also use any software tools or is it just uh, traditional emails? It's just traditional emails. Yeah, we're not using any software tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would be your advice to emerging uh, managers? Yeah, I think I would say LPs really care about seeing you put your money where your mouth is. And so if you have a couple of investments that you can certainly seed the fund with that you're promising to roll in, it's great because that allows them to see the type of chops that you have and the types of companies that you're getting behind and a little bit to kind of walk through your thought process so they can understand how you're evaluating and assessing deals. So I think that's really important to have, at least if you don't even have, you know, companies that you're seated, just something as a stalking horse for you to talk about a company that you've invested in so they can understand the framework through which and the lens through which you're looking at investing. Um, I'd say the other thing to do is to build relationships with LPs um, ahead of time so that they get to know you because it's not something that they want to pull the trigger on immediately after meeting you, you know, a week later. Uh, so, so doing that. And I think then also understanding 
where you play in the market and what value you're bringing to bear. So whether that's you are looking to invest in a certain demographic and you've got a particular edge there, if you're, you're a thematic focused fund and you're looking to invest in a particular corner of the world or a particular industry and you've got interesting and smart theses there. Um, or if you're a generalist fund, I think, you know, that's really where they're going to certainly want to understand how you're differentiated and going to be providing value. So why should they invest in your vehicle versus the hundreds of other vehicles that, that are out there that could look very similar to you? So I think it's having that differentiator that you're able to crisply and succinctly describe and that's actually true and believable so it's things that it's kind of your ethos it's it's what you eat sleep and breathe mm -hmm. and uh, in terms of investing to a startup for example um say uh, your next call is going to be a very interesting pitch mm -hmm. and you you want to you want to really invest in that kind of company what what is the process how fast uh, does this happen yeah so we um so how that happens is you know usually we'll have the lead investor will have a couple a handful three three or so calls with the team to really understand and dig in and be able to explain very aptly to our team and our investment committee what this company is and what they do and what their functionally their fundamental thesis is in the marketplace. And then what happens is usually that lead investor will bring in the other managing directors into the fray and say, hey, uh, this is a company, company that I'm really interested in we will have one-on-ones with the company and then we'll go to investment committee. So it can be, you know, a process that probably, you know, the fastest that we'll, we'll typically move is about two weeks. Um, but it, it doesn't always have to follow that like lightning timeline. It could happen over the course of a couple of weeks if, if time permits and, um, and if there's really no rush, but yeah, that's typically how, how we'll invest and it'll go from a couple meetings, we'll write up a memo, the lead, the lead investor writes up a memo, we share that with the other partners at the, on the team, and then we go to an investment committee where we vote. But uh, what if there is no uh, lead investor? Oh, what I meant by lead investor is the lead on our team. So it's like a managing director from our team. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, Caitlin, thank you for sharing all your insights with us. Is there any final words you would like to, to say to our audience? I would just like to say, and just throw out some encouragement and in whatever you're doing, whether you're raising a fund or you're trying to raise funds for your own startup, keep at it. it uh, Rome certainly was not built in a day and you're going to hear no a lot more than you're going to hear yes, but that just means that you need to get out there, keep hustling and, uh, and good luck. Okay, that's great advice. Thanks. Thank you very much and uh, good luck on raising uh, fund number four. Thank you so much for having me, George. We'll see you pleasure. later. All right, bye-bye.